0: real man, 2019. And that's not all. You got to be here to hear the rest of the story. Praise the name of the Lord. It's good to be here this morning in the house of the Lord with you. We want to remember our pastor today. He is in Texas preaching this morning, preaching the word of God, being a blessing to another church this morning. An old time friend of his, Russell Dotson, down here in Texas. And they're going to have a great time, Lord, today. And we are too. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Let me tell you something here this morning. Every lady in this I'm season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. You can't do that to me. And we are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We are not be deceived by the lies of the enemy. We will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven and give him praise, if you would, please. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. If you would remain standing, please. Got you, didn't I? As we begin this day, we're gonna we're gonna go to the Lord in prayer. I'm asked Elder Marvin if he would pray this morning over today's message. Amen, you may be seated, for real. (laughs) The church has a purpose, and it's time for the church to become harvest-minded, because the Bible declares the fields are ripe and ripe for harvest, but the laborers are few. I believe it's harvest time, but the harvest will only happen when it becomes our focus again. I begin this morning by declaring something's moving, that something's changing, as I've repeated many times, To tell you that God is moving upon the earth, countering the antics of our adversary, the devil. While he's going to and fro upon this earth, seeking whom he may devour, God's spirit is moving and seeking and saving that which is lost. And while the enemy pours out destruction and evil spirits are rising up in this day and age, God is pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh in these last days. There's a shift taking place in the atmosphere over this region as the warring angels are battling the spirits of this region in the heavenlies. And when God begins to shake things on the earth and in the heavens, things begin to change. He will humble the proud, but He'll exalt the humble. People who thought they were all that will be exposed and brought down. For those who have been hiding behind a mask, I can tell you they will be revealed. But yet on the other hand, those that you thought who couldn't and those who you thought who wouldn't will be raised up. People you thought would never be saved are going to be saved for the glory of the Lord. Amen. The most unlikely will be redeemed. Golden calves and sacred cows will be destroyed while assignments of the enemy on your life will be canceled by our heavenly father. And while this hour is upon the earth, though it raises a concern, as God begins to shake the earth and people begin to respond and consider turning their lives to God, what are they going to walk into when they walk into the doors of the church? Another way to ask this question, is the church ready for the harvest? When people, unlike us as they are referred to being, walk in, they don't know the spiritual lingo, they don't know church protocol, they don't know scripture, they don't know church etiquette, all they know is they heard about a man named Jesus and they want to surrender their lives to him. Now, hearing all of that, I wonder how can we say these are unlike us because every single one of us, before we were saved, we were sinners. We did not look so good. We did not act so good. We did not talk so good. So what causes Christians to turn from having compassion for a sinner when you, sir or ma'am, were a sinner too? How can you say you have the love of God in you when you've shut up the bowels of your compassion? See, I believe it's a spiritual flaw. It happens when the church becomes religious instead of righteous. When religion overtakes us. I want to tell you, religion has turned many churches into gated communities where only certain ones belong to it based upon man's standard of living. Now, I wonder if I was a sinner and I walked into this room today, how well would I be received? Would I be welcomed with open arms? Would I fit into this community? Or will I be criticized by people wondering, how did I get through the gate? Would your response to me be so, that I'm so glad to see you here? Or would it be, what is he doing here? Isn't he the one that? I've seen that kind before. Isn't that so-and-so's boy? That whole family ain't been nothing but trouble. You know, we can't answer for every church, but we do have to answer for this one. Are we ready for the gates to be open and to be flooded with the hurting, the broken, the addicted, the deceived, the rejected, the outcast? To be ready, we have to be full of compassion and love for those that the Holy Spirit arrests and brings into our midst. We have to see people like Jesus sees people. Are we gonna be a place, a refuge, that God can trust to send even the lowest of the lowest? And will we put our best foot forward to love them and to make them feel welcome, to teach them, to fellowship with them? This is not just a leadership responsibility. They got to know that more than just the pastors love them. They gotta know that when they sit down by you, that you love them too. They need to know they don't have to walk around in this sanctuary of this church and have to stand back a hundred feet from everyone and holler, unclean, unclean. They need to know that the only thing that they have got to declare is that I am redeemed. He set me free and I have been washed whiter than snow. Somebody give God some praise. You see, religion in itself is such a broad term. To the point, religion does not solely represent Christianity. Any group or institution of certain beliefs and practices can be counted as someone's religion. Even beliefs that don't include deity can claim to be a religion. Even the practice of worshiping idol gods can be included in someone's religion. For Christianity, it is the Christian belief that separates us from the practices of religion due to the basis that it takes a relationship with Jesus Christ to be a Christian, a true believer or a follower of the one and the only true living God, Jehovah God Almighty. See, religion can be full of man-made beliefs and ideals and practices thought to honor a God, while Christianity is rooted in the Word of God, God's ordinances and God's doctrine, not man's doctrine. Religion in certain arenas can be full of bondage, and quite burdensome, whereby the letter of the law killeth. But Christianity, unlike all other religions, is not based upon works. It's based upon a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to go to my text here. And it's found in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. I want to read that with you. An NIV version says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house And reclined at the table. A woman in that house lived a sinful lifestyle, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now when the Pharisees who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him $5, $500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You judge correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven a little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to use this passage of scripture to exemplify what all I'm trying to say to you today. According to this passage, Jesus has been invited by a Pharisee to see his house for, into his house for dinner. See, a Pharisee was truly a religious man. There's no questions about that. By being a Pharisee, he had resources. So he could invite Jesus to a wonderful meal. Pharisees understood protocol. They spend their lives following religious practices. And before we get too critical of them, let me just interject that all of us have a varying degree of religion in us, if we'll be honest. And nothing's more dangerous than being in a house or a church full of religious folks. We have rules for which we have no scripture basis. We have ideals and concepts of what is or isn't appropriate. And we will discard people over things that we'll find out further down the road we were wrong about. We'll only associate with our kind. As I said earlier, some denominations have become gated communities. Religious church folks can be dangerous to your spiritual life. What good is it if you're able to bring Jesus into your house but the religion you are practicing stops you from appreciating his presence. Sure, Simon brought Jesus into his house, but he didn't know how to treat him. Maybe Simon was too blessed to appreciate him. Maybe he felt it was Jesus who should be appreciative of the fact that he took time out in his life to spend time with him. Think about that. That still happens today. People who believe if they come here on Sunday morning, God forbid they come back Sunday night, and definitely not Wednesday too. They feel, hey, I gave you Sunday morning. God ought to appreciate the fact that I came, the fact that I gave up an hour and a half to be here. We think we've gone above and beyond because we gave him an hour and a half of our time this week out of the 168 hours a week of life that he gives us. The God who incidentally puts breath in our body, causes our organs to function, makes our hearts beat even when we are asleep. And yet we give Him what we want, when we want, how we want, if we want to. Because some of us have more important things to do than to spend time with God. See, a Pharisee, a Pharisee spends all his life being taught legalities and laws of religion formalities of the feast of weeks, feast of unleavened bread. They know the procedures for the cleansing and the washings. They approach God and see God through the lens of legalism. The truth is all of us see God through some kind of lens. (coughs) Baptisms, doctrine, creeds, and denominations. They saw God through the lens of legalism because that is what they had been taught. So they approached their relationship with God on the basis of their commitment to religion and upbringing. They thought their thought was the more you kept the law, the closer you would be to God. Pharisees were disciplined, trained, and they were committed people. They didn't touch, touch certain things. They didn't go to certain places. They kept the Sabbath. They kept the law. This was an appropriate setting in their eyes for Jesus to be seen with the Pharisees. But it became inappropriate when a woman who was known as a tramp entered the room. They become outraged. How did she get in the house anyway? They asked, how did she get through the gate? What is she doing in here? They spoke with anger about her presence. She's not holy. She's not righteous. She's not pure. She's been around the block and back. Her reputation was so well known that even church folk knew she was a tramp. They thought, how dare her come in here and mess up our nice holy church, bringing her mess in here. Look at her, inappropriately dressed, dirty, tattooed, all that body jewelry. What a tramp. You see, a lot of people like the ideal of evangelism. They like to send money to mission fields, far from where they live, to the cities they don't live in, to the neighborhoods they don't belong to. But just don't bring them in here. Just don't bring them into our house and mess up what we got. They don't dress right, they don't act right, they don't talk right. I've seen that kind before. I know all about their family. She ain't never gonna change. That's how Pharisees believe. Also, not just the fact of her being a tramp, but she is also a woman. In that day and time, in that culture, a woman didn't bust in on a dinner with a group of important men. Not only is she a woman, But she is not even a good woman. She's a sinner. This woman came into this atmosphere against all odds. Sometimes it's so hard for people to get to God because of his people. And it ought not be. But she pushes her way in. She knows by the culture of this time that she shouldn't be in this room with these people. She knew she had entered into a place of conflict. I wonder, do sinners find it hard to walk into this room? Do they find a welcoming atmosphere? Or are we too religious for sinners? I remember when I got saved. I remember praying this and saying this to the Lord the night I gave my heart to the Christ. I said, Lord, now I'm saved. But I'll be honest with you, Lord. My biggest problem now is going to be finding a church. I've heard so much about the church. I've seen the church. I've heard all the stories about the church. I've seen people in the nightclubs with me on Friday night saying they gotta get home because they gotta get ready for church. I've seen how church people act. But God, if I'm gonna do this, I want a church. I want a real church. I want a church that believes in the word of God. And I prayed, God, send me to a church that believes in the word of God. And I can tell you, I found it. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Have you ever taken one of those tests growing up? They're designed to test your cognitive skills. You know where they show you a picture of three items and you have to circle the one that doesn't relate to the other items. You know, a picture of a baseball bat, a picture of a glove, and then a picture of a banana. So you circle the banana because it don't fit in the picture. Well, let's look at the picture of this room. Steve, if you have it. In this room, we have Simon, Jesus, and a tramp. What's wrong with this picture? Go ahead and circle the one who don't belong in your mind. Well, we know it's not Simon. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious figure. And we know it's not Jesus. He's the Son of God. So just go ahead and circle the tramp as many of you would. And you would be right if you used religion to choose. You see, she may not belong in this picture according to rules and regulations and the traditions of men, Religion, But as far as Jesus was concerned, she was the center of the picture and he never would have taken her out of it. So she enters the room behind him. She doesn't care who's in the room. She don't care what they're saying about her. She don't care what they think. Her focus is on Jesus. She wasn't there for them. She was there for him. She wasn't looking to see if he was looking at her. She wasn't there just seeking his favor. She was not there just seeking his hands. She didn't come for a blessing plan. She didn't come to find five ways to be wealthy or to hear three points in a poem or to be noticed by the crowd. She was just glad to be in the picture. She knew she had no right to be in the picture. She knew according to the legalism of the absolute truth, she shouldn't be in this picture. A tramp touching a priest was a big no-no. But her desire to touch him caused her to rush in against all the religious standards and fall down at the feet of Jesus and begin worshiping him and washing his feet with her tears. And as he felt her tears falling on his feet, he felt the tears of a sinner's praise. I can still remember the night that I knelt down by my bed in 1997 with tears flooding down my eyes as I cried and I cried as I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and he began to wipe away all of my sins and make me new, making me feel loved like I've never been before. The tears of this old sinner boy were praising my Savior. Do you remember the night that he took away your sins and he became your Savior? If you do, would you stand to your feet and give him the praise that he deserves this morning? yes <clears throat> yes he's worthy to be praised hallelujah hallelujah praise the Lord they tell me not to clap my hands when I'm preaching it messes up the recording I'd rather praise my Lord and clap my hands and have a recording any day though amen praise God she began to wash his feet with her tears. This sinner, unlike the Pharisees, the religious bunch who disrespected Jesus, by failing to wash his feet when he arrived, which was the custom that day when a guest arrived. She wasn't washing his feet because of some ritual. No, it was simply genuine compassion for her savior. She didn't know anything about all that religious stuff. She didn't know protocol. She wasn't dressed to impress. She wasn't seeking anyone's attention or trying to to be some kind of a spiritual queen. She was washing his feet with her tears out of a broken and a contrite spirit. She was washing him in a conflicting atmosphere. When no one else was. There wasn't no music. Her favorite song wasn't being played. Nobody else was shouting or crying or praising him at this time. You see, it's easy and it's formidable and it's religiously correct to praise God when everyone else is. When you you got someone who leads you by mechanics to encourage you to worship. It's easy to raise your hands when everyone else does. It's easy to clap your hands when everyone else does. It's easy to come to the altar when everyone else does. But it's much harder to do in a room where you feel hated and not wanted as she was. When you're not like everyone else, schooled and well-versed and rehearsed, anybody in here know what I'm talking about. When you know you're a loser, when you know you've been a failure, when you know you've been a criminal, when you know you've been an outcast, when you know you've been a tramp, you don't have to be spirit-filled to sense when folks despise you. You don't even have to be born again to notice when you don't fit in. Have you ever walked into a room and felt unwelcome, an unwelcome force? I have. Knowing you don't belong. People don't even say a word. You just know. It's enough to make you run out of the room. It's enough to make you not want to even ever walk into the room. And let me tell you, it is one thing to walk into a room in your house and feel that way. But it ought not be to walk in the house of God and have to feel this way. Can I get a witness? But despite all her oppositions in that room, her love for Jesus was stronger than the hatred that she felt. She just pushed through it all in spite of it all. She was like, hate me if you want to. Talk about me if you want to. But I got to get to Jesus, the lover of my soul. When you feel there is someone in the room who wants you there, you really don't care what everyone else thinks. As long as there's someone who really cares about the fact that you're there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? On this day... Her expressions expressed what she truly believed. She was the lowest of the lowest. She didn't know anything about religion. She just knew about a man who came to take away the sins of the world because she truly believed he was the son of God. This woman, regardless of what people thought, found an inner strength that caused her to step over the despisement Caused her to walk past religion, past the rules, past the regulation. She was determined. She said, hate me if you want to. Make fun of me if you want to. But I've got to get to Jesus. Her heart song: Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. My Savior, my closest friend, I will worship you until the very end. Hallelujah. Then down to his feet she falls, drowning in humility. She begins to weep in his presence. And she begins to use her tears to wash his feet. This was not water produced by a man-made well, but water produced by a living well inside of her, pure, undefiled tears brought out of her by passion. And then she does what only a tramp would consider to do in that day and time. She lets down her hair. And she became undignified. And she began to wipe his feet. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, sometimes I just got to let my hair down. See, there's a lot of folks in the body of Christ who need to let their hair down. Let their guard down. Let their makeup run down. Let their pride run down. And stop trying to be all prim and proper and so religiously correct and cute and all dignified. It's time to start lifting up your hands and worshiping your God regardless of what your friends think. It's time to start singing during the worship service regardless if your friends think you can sing or not. And for some of you, it's time to get your happy dance on whether you can dance or not. It don't matter if you ain't gotten no spiritual swag then maybe you might have to do a crazy dance well what my friends think about my crazy dance it don't matter what they think about your crazy dance it matters what he thinks about your crazy dance because I'm here to tell you let me be honest with you Mm -mm -mm -mm. when you begin to dance before the Lord with all of your might you ain't entering no dance contest The Lord doesn't judge you by how you worship him. He judges you by whether or not you worship him. Come on, somebody. Am I in the right place today? Come on. Hallelujah. Because I'm going to tell you, in God's eyes, there's nothing you do in your worship that will ever, ever be ugly to him. David had that issue with Mikael when he danced with all of his might before the Lord. She criticized him. She said, you have just made a fool of yourself. But let me tell you, her judgmental religious spirit caused her to be barren. While David's ugly dance led him to be the king of Israel that brought the glory back. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And let me tell you something. You weren't always successful. You weren't always a good man. You weren't always honest. Come on, somebody. Stop trying to live up to someone else's expectations and someone's religious protocols and let your hair down and run to the feet of Jesus and worship him with everything that you got. bahataya. Come on. (laughs) Hallelujah. See, in those days, in that culture, Letting your hair down in front of a man was a sure sign of a tramp. She didn't care that day. She had been a tramp for so much more less. She had let her hair down for so many other men who were so much less worthy than this man. That when she met Jesus, by letting her hair down, she was saying, if ever there was a man worthy enough to let my hair down for, it's this man, Jesus. Let me tell you, if there was ever anybody worthy enough to let your hair down for, it would be Jesus Christ. And you ought to fall down at his feet and worship him because he has promised he will never leave you. Will he never forsake you? But here we got Simon standing over in the corner, watching all this take place with that critical religious look on his face, turning up his nose. You ever seen that look before? I've seen it. I've seen it standing there, murmuring religious intolerance to her relational behavior with Jesus. I've seen it on Sunday in this church. Have you ever seen it when someone gets too excited about Jesus around her. It offends someone else's spiritual tolerance. So they begin to roll their eyes, murmur about someone, or for some, they even got to get up and leave. Now, if that's you, may I suggest you trade your religion in for a relationship with Jesus Christ, because only a relationship can produce what religion can't dictate. And only a relationship can produce intimacy that can drive you crazy about someone. Can I get a witness on that? Praise the name of the Lord. Now watch what I'm saying. Simon, because of his religious indoctrination, even questions, questions Jesus' discernment. He said to his peers, if he was a prophet, he would have known she was an unclean tramp. And the Pharisee, assuming he had God's heart on this matter, says, and if Jesus knew who she was, he would have stopped her. I say to this religious fool, he doesn't seem to understand that Jesus is omniscient. He's all knowing. And he knew exactly who she was. He knew everything she had done. He even knew she was coming before she ever came in the room. He was just sitting there waiting on her to show up all the while. This was a setup from the get up. Because Jesus was fixing to shake things up. He was exposing the Pharisees. He was removing their mask and he was using the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He was bringing down the prideful and he was raising up the humble. He wasn't impressed by the Pharisees' programs, their rituals or their formalities, but he was touched by the true earnest desire and belief that this woman had for him. You see, God is not impressed by your things. He is impressed by the hearts that pursue him and truly believe he is God. He'd already made reservations to meet her there. She was his dinner partner, hallelujah. He wasn't impressed with their religion. They weren't as near as as close to the heart of God as this woman was. He was touched by her brokenness, by her humility, by her passion for him. Do we understand that every Sunday morning, his presence enters this place waiting for the broken the mixed up, the messed up, to walk into this room looking for him, that they are his guest. Amen. That is his is not on the program. It's always on the heart of people. He's not here for the religious. He's here for the unrighteous so that he can make them righteous. Amen. He has come to seek and save that which is lost. He don't care if they're in here with the three-piece suits or they came in in overalls. He don't care if they got here driving a BMW or they hitchhiked to get here. He don't care whether they got a million dollars in their pocket or they don't have a penny. He's not here for the well. He has come for the sick, the destitute, the cast down, the prostitute, the drug addict, so he can touch their lives. He's here for the one that has failed 70 times 70. He's here for those who don't mind to let their hair down. For those who are willing to fall at his feet and say, thank you, Lord. Jesus said to Simon, seest thou this woman? Now, wait a minute. What a crazy question. Because the scripture no way ever suggested that Simon was blind. How could he not help but see her? Yes, Jesus looks at him and asks, seest thou this woman? Because Jesus knows people can see you and still not see what he sees. He didn't say, see this sinner. He didn't say, see this tramp. He called her a woman. No other surtitles. He saw her as a woman. Unlike Simon, because of his religion, all Simon saw was a sin. But Jesus saw the woman. Jesus knew who she was. He knew what she was capable of becoming. He saw in her what no one else ever did. Before she was even forgiven, he seen her as a woman. He seen her not as she was, but as she could be. He seen her as the woman that he created who had been snared by our enemy. He was implying to Simon, you can't see what I see in this woman because your religion has blinded you. See, some people can look at old ragged piece of furniture and call it junk, and be quick to discard it. But others can look at it and not see it as it is, but what it can be, and call it a hidden treasure. And knowing its potential, they put time and effort in restoring it into something beautiful and valuable. What's the difference? Perspective. Seeing someone as God sees them. God never created any junk. He never created anyone to fail. He never created anyone to be an outcast. And many people only become these things because of circumstances and bad decisions they have made or by things out of their control that have put them in hard places. Yet God still sees them as valuable, as restorable. And we as Christians, we must see them the way too and be willing to put time into helping their lives be restored. Because it was Jesus who said, whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But religion says, this one and not that one. I know there had to be a lot of people who look at me in my life. I was living for 37 years and never had seen any hope in me. How do I know that to be true? No one ever approached me for 37 years. They didn't really know me. They didn't know what I was capable of. But God saw something in me no one else saw. And he knew something about me that I didn't even know about myself. And a precious woman that worked for me saw what God's seen in me. And as a result, I stand here transformed and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> and Jesus was saying to Simon, you can't see the woman. All you see is the junk. But I see the treasure. It's not on the outside. It's on the inside of her. He said, you look on the outside. He said, but I look on the inside. I look at the intent of the heart. You look at the resume of her failures. You see her as impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So Simon, don't stand there and act like you know her. I'm not talking about who she was. I'm talking to you about who she is. I got a different perspective than you do, Simon. You see, my God don't make no junk, and if anything, he has become, she has become tattered and battered. But my God is a God of restoration who has given me the ministry of restoration. Your religious spirit sees her as she, as she is. I see her as she can be. What I see is something valuable that has been mistreated, that has been misused and abused. I want you to look at someone and say, you don't really know me. You know some things about me But you don't know what I'm capable of doing, but Jesus does. And can't I tell you, he didn't wait till I got everything right to love me. That he loved me when I wasn't lovable, that he loved me when no one else loved me, that he loved me when I didn't even love myself. He loved me while I was yet still a sinner. Do you know he loved me while I was still singing in the nightclubs? Do you know he loved me while I was still getting drunk and getting high? Now, I know religious folks don't like to hear this stuff about a preacher's past, that we're supposed to always be these little angels, but I, and I know according to religion, I may not should be even standing here preaching this morning, but according to the grace of God on my life that I have received, God says I can. Because he saved me. And he called me and he anointed me and he imported me in spite of what all the religious religious critics say about me. And for many of you, it was no different. While you were losing your mind, while you were living in the streets homeless, while you became pregnant as a teenager, while you were all messed up and jacked up and tore up. Now, I don't know how the church world viewed you, but I know how God viewed you. He loved you. Oh, I I was shut up. Somebody needs to hear that. I don't know how everybody else viewed you, but he loved you. Amen. He loves us. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh how he loves us He loves us Oh how he loves us Oh how he loves us Oh how he loves I don't know if you by now Or to the point you feel like standing to your feet and giving God your highest praise. But I would look at my neighbor and say, excuse me, neighbor, for just a moment. i got to stand to my feet. Randy's not going to be the only one that praises my God today. I'm going to stand to my feet and I'm going to give him my praise today. i got something to give him. I've got something to praise him about. You don't know what I came from. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been doing. But he does. He knows everything about me. But in spite of everything about me, he loves me. Hallelujah. He's worthy to be praised, church. He's worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be seated if you can about to wrap this thing up. You see, we can't get to such a righteous indignation to where we forget where God has brought us from. See, the apostle Paul never did. In his early years, he despised Christians. He went even as far as to persecute them. Many times after his conversion to Christ, when he addressed a congregation, he stood in a spirit of humility, And he would begin by declaring, I'm Paul, the chiefest of sinners. I'm Randy, the chiefest of sinners. He made a declaration. He never forgot where God brought him from. He never forgot what God brought him through. He never forgot the day that God came down and loved him so much that he knocked him off his horse and corrected him out of love and led him to the Savior. We can never forget where he came from. We've got to always remember that we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Paul went on to write more books of the New Testament than any other man. Not only did she wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair and even kiss his feet, she had also brought with her all she had. She carried it in an alabaster box. Alabaster was a type of marble-looking porcelain. In it, she kept an expensive oil, a perfume, a very expensive oil. So expensive that the oil in the box is valued to the cost of a year's wages. Think about that for a moment. A year's wages. Yet she takes it, and she breaks the box, and she anoints the feet of Jesus. Folks, this is radical praise. When sinners come to Jesus in their brokenness, their praise becomes radical. When they submit everything they got to God, by her giving this oil to anoint his feet, she was saying, I give you everything I got. I don't want you just to be my savior. I want you to be Lord over my whole life. And instead of this oil, I want you to be my provider. I'm now dependent on you and I'm no longer on my ability to survive because I've now given you everything I got and I've got nothing left. But by coming to you, I believe you're enough and you'll be all I ever need. I want my musicians to come. If you haven't ever given your heart to Christ, this is how you too must come to him. You must surrender everything you got. You must make him Lord over everything. For him to be everything to you, you must be everything to him. Now the religious folks in this room thought it was a foolish thing she had just done. They thought she had just wasted what she had. They didn't even understand what Jesus meant to her. They'd never been where she had been. They'd never been through what she'd been through. They never saw her as Jesus saw her, and they never saw Jesus as she saw him. Why? Because relationship always trumps religion. This lady felt Jesus was worth everything to her. Like the song that was wrote goes, you don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. You see, it's true. Those are forgiven of a little, give little. But those who are forgiven of a lot, give a lot. See, she broke the alabaster box. Instead of just taking and opening it and pouring it out on his feet. Why? To show you, you just, can't be open before God. You must be broken before God to receive him. In comparison to what Jesus did for her life, what she just did for him, she perceived was the least she could do. She wasn't about things. She was about touching Jesus because he had touched her. See, when Jesus is a sinner in your life, those things, don't mean so much anymore. That costly oil had never done for her what Jesus did. She gave it because she wanted to give him her best. Because had given her, God had given her his best. He had believed in her when no one else would. He had loved her when no one else did. He had saw in her what no one else saw. And Jesus used this woman that many had despised to show these men, it's not about formalities, it's about humility. It's not about laws, it's about mercy. It's not about ceremonies, it's about grace. It's not about you, it's about Him. That if you abide in Him and His word abides in you, that if you draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to you. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus used this woman to teach the Pharisees, the religious folks, a very valuable lesson about what truly touches the heart of God. It is a broken and a contrite spirit. In no wise will he ever cast out or turn away. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, "Seest thou this woman? He said, I entered this house, and thou gave me no water for my feet. But she's washed my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. He said, You gave me no oil to anoint my head. But this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that even forgiveth sins? He also said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. She was forgiven. He never made reference to her again as a sinner. He called her a woman. And that brings us as a church to the personal challenge made to us as a church. When God starts shaking and sinning, are we ready? Are we ready to see men and women and children as God sees them? not as drunkards or adulterers or addicts or tramps? Are you going to be able to reach out and love them unconditionally? Or is religion going to blind you to who they are? Now I wanna take this moment to speak to someone here that doesn't know Jesus. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how low down you may feel today. I've come to tell you that today there is a Jesus in this room as there was then, right now. That he is ready to accept you just as you are. You just got to get past what everybody else thinks. And the only focus on there, on you needs to be is on the Savior this morning. That even while you were yet a sinner, he loved you. He's a Savior who will never leave you or forsake you. He's always for you, he's never against you. He died for you so that you may have life. And that if you'll come to him today, he won't turn you away. Regardless of what you've done or what people think about you, I come this morning to tell you that he cares about you. That he's glad you're in the room today. That you are here because you are his guest. That he created you. And in your sin, you're not who he created you to be. But in your repentance today, you will be everything he's called you to ever be. You just have to do like this woman and give him your best and all he wants you to do today. Make your way to this altar and simply give your heart to him today and not care about what everybody else around you thinks. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus is speaking to you. You are the one in his picture today. You are the one in this room today that he's concerned about, that he cares about. And today he's calling you to come home. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you step out of the way, out of that aisle, and would you make your way to this altar and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? He will meet you here today. Is there one this morning? God's talking to you. He's speaking to your heart. He loves you. Is there one today? That would say, "I'm going to go give my life to this Jesus." You've known Him and you walked away. You can come home today. Is there one? and I want to speak to this church. There's a harvest coming. Are we going to be Christians? Because Christians do not find Christianity as a religion, but as an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the only religion that you do not have to work to be saved. It is by freely given by the grace of God. Religion is an institutionalized system of religious attitudes and beliefs and practices. Are we gonna be the church that Christ died for? Or are we gonna be just another religious institution? Are we gonna be shallow in our outreach and live as a gated community that controls who comes in and out? Are we gonna be the church who opens the gates and welcomes home sons and daughters with open arms, with love. We must be the place to belong. The harvest has got to be won out there. And we have got to bring the harvest in to the storehouse, into God's house. And every single one of us has a responsibility to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone Who doesn't know the truth. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today, God. I thank you for your word, God, of challenging our hearts and trying to steer our focus on what matters the most, the harvest. Father, we have been blessed beyond measures as Christians. We have received your loving grace. But God, there's so many more just like us who never have who never even ever had the opportunity. And I pray today, dear God, Lord, that it's our desire to be Christians, that we don't allow a religious spirit to overtake us to where sinners cannot be comfortable walking into this room. I pray that every heart today is challenged and reminded that we have a responsibility to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that we all have a responsibility to preach the gospel. I pray, dear God, that we'll take this message to heart and that we'll place it deep in our hearts. And always remember, there is a purpose of the church, that the church is to be a place to belong. Today, God, we praise you and we give you glory for our salvation and for the many salvations to come. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, and everybody say, amen. God bless you, you're dismissed.